we spent a couple of weeks looking at how to determine if something is God or not. Testing the spirits, determining is this God or is this not. We want to look at some other aspects here as far as our spirit and the development of it. If you'll turn over in your Bibles, we're going to begin verse first off over at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John, the third chapter. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Boy, we see a lot more of that now, but I'm sure they saw it back in their day too and every other day since. We know that we have passed from death to life because... Why? We know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he says here, we know. That word there to know is in the past tense. It always means, this particular word for know always means knowing in the past tense. We don't have to wonder about our spiritual development. You can know it. By this we know. We don't wonder. We don't have to ponder. There's some people who say, well, I think I'm growing. I think I've uh, developed myself spiritually. I think I know how to hear God. No, you'll know. By this we know. Because he says here, by this we know that we have passed from death to life. From death to life. A life of the, of the flesh to a life of the Spirit. That's where we're going. A life of the flesh to a life of the Spirit. When you are unsaved as a heathen, you are very tied into your flesh man. And you just pursue whatever it is that your flesh wants. If you want to love somebody, you love them. If you don't want to love them, you don't. If you like this, fine. If not, you just you just go any way you want to. You respond what you what you need to. When we get become born again, we are to yield ourselves to the will of God, and to do what He says, whether we like it or not. So then we are have to commit. We're commanded to love, and it's not whether you like it or not. That's why in the world you see these people, these these uh, married couples. They get married and they have all these stars in their eyes and all these good things about each other. And then all of a sudden they don't have that anymore. Oh, I just fell out of love with that one. Well, I'm just not going to... Whatever they say. And, and, and you know, it, it'd be a perfect world. You always have two, two spirit-filled believers married to each other. We don't always have that. And Paul dealt with that when you have, the, have people that one Christian got married to an unsaved person or they became unsaved or they just were unsaved. I don't know what it was, but... When you have two saved people, you shouldn't have this. When you have two saved, spirit-filled people walking according that way, that shouldn't be the way it does. Thank God if it does, we still have forgiveness of that. But how many times have we heard it before said, well, I just don't love that one. What we really mean is I've decided not to. (laughs) Paul even says, if uh, you you have an unbeliever and a believer married, if they say if the unbeliever is okay or desires to live with the, the believer, then stay. Most of the time, love is a decision. Gary Smalley made a whole series out of that. Love is a decision. And there's a decision that we had to make. How many of y'all know you made a decision to love your kids? <laughs> That's not always something that you want to do. It doesn't always come to you. You have to decide to do that. Same way with other people. You have to make a decision to love people in the body of Christ. We don't always want to, do we? And we find some people in the body of Christ not doing what they should be doing, acting kind of crazy, kind of weird. What do we want to do? Acting the same way they are. That's the flesh. You don't want to go that way. This is the evidence. We know we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That even say love the world. It's love the brethren. The brethren sometimes are harder to love than the world is. (laughs) You all know that one by now. Romans 7 verse 5 says, For when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to what? Fruit to death. 
the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. This is while we were in the flesh. While we were in the flesh. See, he who does not love his brother abides in... Well, I'll go a little further back. We know that we have passed from death to to life. The flesh is very often assimilated or associated in the Word of God with death. And the Spirit is associated with life. How often do you see the flesh associated with life in the Word of God? Never. And how often do you see the Spirit associated with death? So when we see Him say this in 1 John, we know that we have passed from death to life. Is He not in truth saying we know we have passed from a life of the flesh to a life of the Spirit? Galatians 6 and verse 8, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In Romans 8, verse 5 through 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life, and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We need to pass from a life, from, from death to life. We need to get passed from the flesh over into the realm of the Spirit. But the Word of God tells us we know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love the brethren. You can directly measure the abil- your ability to walk in the Spirit by how much you're able to love people. You can tell exactly where you are spiritually by the way you love people. Because we love the brethren, he says. Over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. Most Christians think they're operating in the God kind of love and serve themselves. But we are called to serve one another. And it is real easy to pick this up. Real easy to pick this up in people. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Which means your spirit man wants to do one thing, your flesh wants to do another, you end up doing what the flesh wants. That's not a a person who's learned to yield to their spirit. Who's walking in the depths of the Spirit. Who's walking in in the way of the Spirit. They're walking in the way of the flesh. And a lot of Christians are good at passing this off as spiritual stuff. Some of them are real good about it. But the one thing about it is, you know, if you, if you go into somebody's home, not your home, but somebody else's home, and, and they cleaned up their, their house by taking everything dirty and stuffing it underneath the kitchen sink or stuffing it in a closet somewhere. The thing about it is, it still smells. And though you can't see it, you can smell it. <laughs> you can smell it. We were out, uh, my, my folks are out looking for a house. And uh, so we were out a number of places. And, and one of the days I went with them to go and look at uh, some of the houses and, and to check some of them out. And so we were waiting for the realtor to open up the one house. And as we were standing on the porch, we saw a mat on the ground. And on that mat, it said, you know, God loves us. Because he made cats. (laughs) And the idea of the map was that because cats are so loving and so nice and so affectionate that you can just tell God's a loving God and all that. And so then you go from the mat and you look at right next to the door is this cat and this the statue of a cat. 
there. So it didn't take too much brain, brain action to figure out that these people were cat lovers. What do you think resided on the inside? <laughs> More than likely. I said, we ought to bring Krishna over here. If there was a cat in here, he'd know it. He knows it right away. And so we got on in there. And I'll tell you, of all the places we looked at, it was the nicest of them all. It was really a nice place inside. It was laid out so well and wasn't too big for them. And just, uh, I mean, I even liked it for, for the, the small, it was just really laid out well. And, and mom goes, I don't know, there's just some kind of a smell. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it was spick and span clean. And it didn't look like they just rushed about and cleaned it up. I mean, it looked like it was always that way. But there's just a smell. That's one thing about cats. They just always seem to leave something behind. And uh, see, sometimes we're out there on a bunk bed delivering. We go into houses, you know, some of them are really nice and neat and some of them are just not so well. And, and uh, Christian just doesn't respond well to cats. They just uh, don't like him a whole lot. And, and we don't see cats, but we can walk on in there and we're putting the bed together and 15, 20 minutes into the thing and he starts sneezing. And it used to be for a while we think, what, what was causing you to do that? I don't know what it is. I was fine before. It was... And then I, now all of a sudden we realize, oh, they got a cat in here, don't they? <laughs> so sometimes we'll even ask them, where's the cat? <laughs> we know it's around there somewhere. So you can clean up all kinds of stuff, but sometimes that lingering smell is right there. The more spiritually developed you get, the more you can smell flesh. You can just smell it. The more spiritually developed you, you are, though, the more you know how to not embarrass people about it. Don't go out there trying to embarrass people about it any more than you try and do that in their home. Find out what God wants you to do about it, if anything, and then you go ahead and you do that. Stay with it that way. Don't be out there calling attention to things, at least not in front of other people. Which verse do we leave off at? 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why is that? This ties in right with, right with Jesus taught. Jesus taught that if you love the Lord your God and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the whole law. So you don't have to be under it, but you'll fulfill it. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And boy, is this interesting. The works of the what? Keep that in mind. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. Well, that's pretty evident. That's a work of the flesh, isn't it? Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. How many of you would associate idolatry and sorcery with the work of the flesh? Don't we often associate them as the work of the devil? But what's he call them? Work of the flesh. Is the flesh the devil? It's you, isn't it? He puts idolatry and sorcery in as a work of the flesh. Now, I'm, I know the devil's involved in those kind of things, but apparently so is your flesh and a whole lot of it. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. This is basically another word just for saying, I'm looking out for myself. I'm making sure that I'm taken care of. Selfish ambitions. Watch it. Dissensions. People who get in there and cause splits. Get in there and cause you to not think so well about something. Somebody just comes on in and says, Well, you know, so they're such a nice person. They're such a... And they go on and they build them up for a little while. But... How many times can you hear that but before it's even been announced? But, you know... I. There's just something wrong with them. There's just something not right here. And they're just sowing the seeds of doubt in, into you. That's dissensions. Heresies. Heresies are based out of a work of the flesh. People want attention. They want people to be drawn to them. They want to see uh, they've got revelation no one else has or whatever it might be. Envy. Murders drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now, he didn't keep, keep on going apparently, but he decided to stop there. These are all works of the flesh. 
These are things that your flesh is involved with. And to pursue these means you are not pursuing the work of the Spirit. So if every time that you have these evidenced in your life, you can just look yourself in the mirror and say, I am not being spiritual. I am not following after the Spirit. I am following after my flesh. I'm feeding my flesh. Whatever you feed, it grows. Stay out of it. Uh, which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is why you got to be careful in some of the things that you feed on. Because some of the things that we feed on in this world anymore, they're just feeding into it. And we go over these every once in a while, but I'll tell you what, the, the world is just try, is stirring up everything they can about this. I have not seen our branches of government go after these things to the degree that they have been. I'll give you a case on this. You know, every so often I study these things out, what our, what our government, you know, what our folks are doing. And uh, I think I'm going to write you all about this and just let you all know about it. And then I don't get to it. And another one pops up. And uh, sometimes I don't get to that. And then another one pops up. They just keep popping up all over the place. Boy, are they getting to be more. But how many of you have felt in yourself anger towards AIG? How many of you got a little bit angry when you heard all this stuff about these bonuses and things like that? Now, what they do is they have stirred the pot to get you guys to be divisive, stir up hatred and anger. And most of, most of you, based on the information that you heard, think it is okay. Not talking about you personally, just other people out there who, who don't know better. But they have not told you the whole story on the AIG thing. And it is horrendous. It is so, this, this has gotten my blood boiling so much. I've, I've actually started doing some things to write to you about because you all need to be aware. This is stuff that is stirring the, this country up to be angry and to completely lose focus on what is important. It is atrocious what is going on, what the media is reporting on, and what people in, the, in our government are pointing the finger at. This is horrible. It is such, people are lying to you. To get people this mad. Let me give you some of the things that were going on with this thing. And this is important in this. You'll, you'll see why in a minute. But it's also important that you know this. You should not give in to this kind of anger. Or hatred or anything like that that would try and build up on the inside. You all wouldn't be hating, but other people that you know. <laughs> 173 some odd billion. It might be a little bit off from that. A couple billion here and there. 173 billion dollars was given to AIG to bail them out. Because they got in the hole. How did AIG get in the hole? Anybody ever find that out? Yeah. You know, here's what happened. For 40 years, AIG grew and became a very profitable company under the headship of one CEO. This one CEO was not aligned correctly politically. And the powers that be decided he had to go. And they used their power to pressure the board at AIG to fire him. Which they did. And they put a new guy in. And in three or four years, this new guy ran the company down to nothing. They then got rid of, I believe they got rid of him and put Liddy in. And Liddy is actually appointed by the government, not AIG. <coughs> That's who did it. But how much money was given to AIG? How much are, uh, now this is a number that you all, you probably have memorized. How much are the bonuses? 165 million. What percentage of what they were given is 165 million. A fraction of 1%. It is a fraction of 1%. Now, before, I haven't given you the whole story here. What's that? Yeah, fraction of 1%. It is not even 1% of the money they were given. Can you imagine that? $165 million is not even a fraction of 1%. Everything that you have been fed is to get you angry. We have gotten so angry that people have had death threats against these people at AIG. Barney Frank stood up in Congress grilling Liddy. Who appointed Liddy? Government did. Grilling Liddy that he must reveal all the names of the people who received these bonuses. And Liddy says, well, I'll do that. If, if you insist, but I want it to be kept private. And Barney Frank and all his pompous air said, I'm not going to guarantee that I'll do that. 
And Liddy began to defend his, uh, the, the employees over there. He hasn't even been with the company that long, but he defended his employees and said, I, I, I really don't want to give them to you then because their lives will be in danger. And Barney Frank was basically, I don't care. Let's go ahead. Now, Barney Frank had no problem with bonuses given out to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. No problem with it. But he has a problem with this one. Now, when the stimulus bill was signed, the second stimulus bill, not the one from last year, but the one from this year, when that stimulus bill was signed, there was provision put in by a man by the name of Chris Dodd. You all know who that is? He wrote a provision in there. He wrote it. Chris Dodd wrote this provision, put it in there, that the bonuses that AIG was to pay out were perfectly fine and should be done. From that time that that was written to the time it went to committee, that phrase was removed. And Chris Dodd did say correctly that it was removed. Chris Dodd finally came out and said why it went back in. He first said, I don't know why, and came up with some other excuses and things. He finally came out and said, the administra- an administration official made us put it back in. This is when the stimulus bill was signed, which was prior to March. So the bonuses were known about, agreed upon, and actually written into the stimulus bill that they were okay to be paid. How much were they again? 165 million out of 173, might be 176, somewhere in that area, billion dollars. They want you to focus on a fraction of 1%. What kind of bonuses were they? Does anyone know? Were they performance bonuses? They couldn't have been. See, there's a reason why they're not telling you what kind of bonuses they are. Because if they told you what kind of bonuses they are, you might not be as angry. They are not performance bonuses. They are retention bonuses. That all these guys were given these jobs and said, your job is going to be eliminated. If you will stay on until the end, this is the bonus that you will get. A lot of them worked for just about nothing except for the bonus. I have a copy on my computer. If any of you want it, I will give it to you. It was just written in the last few days where one of the individuals who was receiving the bonus wrote a letter of resignation to Mr. Liddy and said, we were promised several times all through this that our bonuses would still be paid, so we stayed on. He says, but I am now tendering my resignation. I am not going to continue to work 10, 12, and 14-hour days missing my family for a salary of $1 per year. He said, I will give back 100% of the bonus I was promised. And we asked you several times along the process if this would still happen. And you assured us it would. So we stayed on, he says. And we worked 10, 12, 14-hour days to get this thing done. And then we would move on to another job. But he says, I'm not going to finish it. I'm going to quit now. And I'm going to go home and be with my family. And he signed it with his name. And I have the whole, whole thing. If any of you are interested in it, I can email it over to you. I have it in an electronic format. I will certainly send that to you. But these guys have been, people have been lined up in their houses. We have hate stirred up. Now, why so much focus on this? What is the purpose of this? Why is there so much focus? Because actually, people knew about this beforehand. Now folks are being caught in lies, saying they didn't know about it when they actually did. And they're actually proving that, wait a minute, you knew, we know you knew two weeks before this because there was a Senate hearing and you were there. Well, I wasn't quite as short. <laughs> you get all this sort of stuff. Here's the thing I want you to understand. This is what's not making the news media. 100, I'm going to use the number 173. I, that is real close. Like I said, it might be a couple billion off. <laughs> but $173 billion went to AIG. 92 to 96 million. Again, I, I can't remember the exact uh, number. 92, 93, or 96 billion dollars went from AIG to foreign banks. Not U.S. banks. Foreign banks. How much of a percentage is $165 million compared to 93 dollars $96 Why was AIG allowed to give this money to foreign banks? Was AIG being used to get this money to the foreign banks. Have you heard any stories about that at all? 
But yet you've heard a whole lot about $165 million. Which do you think is a bigger story? There's a whole lot of reason for the timing of this, this here, folks. There's a whole lot of lying going on from Congress and from the people that are involved. A lot of lying. I could stand here and tell you, and tell you stories for an hour just on this issue. It is shocking. You can, you can find it, though. See, the thing is, they can't keep all the Internet quiet. There's a whole lot of stuff that gets out there, and they just can't keep it all. They're trying, but they can't keep it all under, under wraps. Ninety-two, ninety-three, ninety-six billion dollars of your tax money went to foreign banks, and you don't even know why. Or what purpose this has in helping our economy. And yet we're all angry at 165 million dollars given as retention bonuses for people who, for some of them, at least in, this, in the case of this letter, is making a salary of one dollar a year. His bonus was his salary. Now you can argue, well, I don't, I don't even know what the bonuses were. Say one was $250,000. How many of you would like to have a part of that as your salary? And you say, well, that's an awful lot of money. That's what they want you to think. And they want you to get into that area where you're saying they don't deserve that. They, don't, they shouldn't have that. It's stirring up anger. So make sure you check out the whole thing. Check out the whole thing. This is what it does, though. This is what I want you to see in this. You can hear these things coming on in. You can hear Chris Dodd and Barney Frank and Nancy Pelosi and all these guys spewing out all these things and stir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out there and get them. Go out there. Well, what are they doing out there doing that sort of stuff? Yeah, and you can get all caught up in that. It is not a work of the Spirit, folks, because it's not even based on truth. It's a work of the flesh. And how many times can we get caught up in that kind of an air and think we are being spiritual? Think it is righteous anger. And we have no idea. A work of the Spirit will always be based on truth because the Spirit of God knows all truth despite what people choose to reveal. Despite what people choose to reveal. The Spirit of God knows all truth. And you can just know in your spirit, you know what? In my spirit, I don't feel anger about that. I'm not sure what it, I'm just not feeling anger about that. And you could even see a Christian, another brother or sister of a Christian doing something and you know that something is wrong. You can see it. It's wrong. And down on the inside, you don't have an anger towards it. Why? Because the Spirit of God knows something that you don't know. And you react according to that. But there's other times that you can see a brother or sister and they're operating in a way and it seems right. And it seems good. And it seems normal. But down on the inside, you feel uneasy. Down on the inside, you feel anger rising up. Righteous anger. And you know, I don't know, Father God, why am I feeling it this way? Why is this coming up? That seems perfectly fine what it is that they're doing. Because what the Spirit of God gives to you is not based on what men reveal. It's based on what He knows. And His knowledge is absolute. Don't ever respond to what to things just out of what you hear. What does the Word of God say? Every man's way is right in his own eyes. If you listen to one person give a story, why, what happened with that? And, well, this and this and this happened, and they begin to relate the story, and you get angry. How many of you ever heard that? been there? Some other believer giving a story, and you just, I can't believe that they did that. No, see, a mature person says, oh, no, I'm going to get the other side of the story. I'm going to find out what's going on on the other side. Because generally, if you hear it and it's too good to be true, guess what? <laughs> probably is. It probably didn't happen quite that way. And probably just a little bit more went on in, in there. I mean, have you ever embellished a story to make you look, make yourself look good? <laughs> I mean, we don't generally tell stories to make us look bad, do we? <laughs> so that's why you want to hold back. Don't let your emotions get involved. Don't get there because you're going to say some stuff that you're going to take back later on. You don't want to do it. Just always sit there and say, well, you know, I, I can appreciate what it is that you're saying. I don't really, I'm not really involved in this. I can't really say. 
Yeah, but they said this. Yeah, but I wasn't there when they said it. I really don't know. And I'll tell you what, you need to hold on to that. There's been a whole lot of times people try and get me to respond to something, to say something. Well, I wasn't there when they said it. I need, you know, how many of y'all know? You need to see the look on their face. You need to hear what was going on, the tone in their voice. Doesn't that tell you something? Mm. So just make sure you operate in the realm of the Spirit. Because how is it that we know we move from death to life? By the way, we love the brethren. By the way, we love the brethren. Folks, there's a whole mess of those AIG folks. I bet are born again Christians. And if you develop anger toward them, not even know what's going on, you could be held accountable. Wasn't it uh, up in one of those one of the ones we showed? Wasn't Keith Moore talking this, telling the story of when he uh, was asked about a particular guest speaker, traveling minister, and he just didn't give a raving review, and he walked. Did you, did you all hear that one? Or is that just something I heard him say? Somebody came up to him and says, What do you think about brother so-and-so? And he just, uh, I don't know, I, I think he knew something that maybe he didn't feel totally at ease on. That may have been the case. But anyway, he just didn't give a raving review on the guy. And, um, and as he walked away from it, the Spirit of God came up on the inside of Brother Keith. And he says, That pastor is not going to invite that person out to minister at their church now. And I had something for that minister to accomplish there. And he says, well, I didn't, I didn't say anything bad about him. He says, yeah, but you hesitated. Or you were, just, you weren't, just the, just the way you responded. He could tell that something wasn't right. And he's not going to invite him out now. That's a heavy thing, huh? So, and I'll tell you what, Brother Keith didn't say much about it at all. He, he's told us what it was and I can't remember, but he told us what it was, and it's not something that you really have, have thought much of, but God dealt with him on it. And he says, all right, I'll make sure I take care of that. Brother Hagen used to tell us when we were down there at school. He says, ministers will rise and fall. You make sure you have nothing to do with their downfall. I'll tell you what, that's a good, that's a good thing to do. David had that attitude towards Saul. Don't walk in that way. Unless you can be privy to get information on all sides, you cannot make a judgment. And if anyone wants to try and put you in that position, they are not doing it for good reason. Because they would just love to be able to go out there and say, well, Ethel said this. And use the authority of Ethel's name. And be able to say, she heard, she heard, and she doesn't think you're right. And that person's thinking, she hasn't even talked to me. How could that, how could that be? And that person's going to go to people that, that wasn't the other person in the party involved and tell other people, well, Ethel thinks I'm right too. <laughs> and that'll go on. People who do this, folks, people who solicit you are doing it for a reason. And it's not a good one. First off, they're not spiritual people. They are flesh people. And they're asking you and you're trying to give them something spiritual. A spiritual judgment. Well, if that was me, I probably wouldn't have done that. That sounds pretty generic and pretty good. But how's that going to be said? Pastor Steve said, you were wrong. <laughs> Pastor Steve said, you lied. <laughs> well, he doesn't even know. He hadn't even talked to me about it. And you'll be quoted in all kinds of ways. Mm-mm. Don't. Don't do it. Don't judge. This, new, this news media is out there is constantly throwing stories out, constantly throwing bits of information to try and get you to make a judgment on things. And the judgment is not always right. And they don't care about presenting right information. We've known that for a long time. They don't care about pre presenting correct information. They just want to get you to that place. But see, that's a flesh reaction. Don't do it. Because you follow the way of the flesh, you follow the way of death. Following the way of the Spirit, you follow in the way of life. Just stay in the way of life. Just keep on going that way. Don't, don't go after these other things. That's the fruit. The fruit that we should be producing here, folks, is love. That's the fruit that we need to have. Verse 1 in John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The idea here is to bear fruit. Now, I have absolutely no experience with grapevines. <laughs> Never grow a grapevine. Haven't been around grapevines. The closest thing to a vine that I've been associated with is tomatoes. Worked with them when I was a kid. My mom used to have the garden. I would go out there and take care of it and tend it and stuff. And she'd show me the different things about the tomatoes. You know, there's, there's branches and there's regular branches. And uh, tomatoes have sucker branches. And a sucker is a branch that comes off of the tomato vine between the branch and the, and the vine itself. And that little thing there is called a sucker. And the reason they call it a sucker is because it sucks all kinds of life from the, from the plant and produces no fruit. And so every time you see them, you got to pinch them when they're small because you don't want to pinch them when they're big. You're damaging, you know, you leave a, an open sore sort of thing on the, on the plant. So when, when they're small, you just pinch them and then they don't grow. So for, the, for quite a while, you've got to be out there checking out the vine. You've got to look at each branch. And when you see those suckers, pluck them out. You're a non-fruit producing. <laughs> and you take care of that. Now, if you want big tomatoes, and those uh, tomato vines grow. A lot of times you can get uh, the blossoms on it. You can get eight, nine, ten blossoms on one branch. That's a lot of tomatoes. On one branch, that's going to be heavy for it. So what's going to happen is that they're all going to become smaller. So what you do is you cut it down to four or five. So you just go in there when they're little flowers and you pinch them off. And you get on out there and you can do this. So this is the pruning. By doing that, you can make the fruit become bigger and have more, more of it. And it's not so heavy, doesn't weigh it down. You always got to be out there tying up new vines because every week or so, vines get longer. And what was tied up before is no longer tied up now. We got longer branches. You got to tie them all up. You got to secure them all because if they get down the ground, the ants get them and the bugs get them and they're not so good to eat and so forth. So they need a lot of care. Vines need a lot of care. But the branch is, has to be attached to the vine. The vine produces nothing. It is the branch that produces it. And the branch produces fruit. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He takes off those, them suckers. Plucks them right off. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. It is the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But without me... You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So bearing fruit is good. God sees it as good. He wants us to be bearing fruit. If you don't bear fruit, he's going to prune you. Knock that right off. We don't want those branches that aren't fruit producing. He wants fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. All those other things, of course, come out of the, the love. But if you are going to bear fruit, you're going to bear the fruit of love. Love is going to come off of you. If you're not bearing the fruit of love, you're not bearing fruit. Now, there's other fruit I'm sure that you can produce too as far as fruit in the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit, as they were told, is love. As we said, it's the branches and not the vine that produce fruit. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. It is, it is not one-sided. This is growing spiritually, folks, is not a one-sided thing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. It's not just a matter of God abiding in us. I have to abide in him. If you abide in me, me or, you know, you abide in God and my words Abide in you. This is our part. There's a thing that we had to do. There's a God part. God's made all these things available. He's given us of His Word. He's chosen to abide in us. He's chosen us to give us of His Spirit. But then there's our part too. If you abide in me. That's the part of me. I have to, I have to make sure that I'm abiding there. I have to make sure that His words abide in, in me. How do we make sure that His words abide in me? Meditate on them. Glean the understanding from the Spirit and do it. Then you know that His words abide in you. If it abides in you, you'll do it. 
If you don't do it, it's not abiding in you. How many people do you know who have knowledge of things in the Word but are not doing it? Would you classify them as people that are abiding in that Word? You wouldn't, would you? So there's a God part. There's a man part. Of the two, which is the most likely to fail? <laughs> hmm. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Your prayers being answered depends more on you than it does on God. Your prayers being answered depends more on you than it does on God. Yet most of the time we pray, we pray like it all belongs on God. But it really belongs, responsibility is more on you. If you abide in me, in my words abide in you. Does that talk about the God part? It talks about the man part, doesn't it? You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It shall be done for you. Not much question about that, is there? So if we're not seeing it shall be done for you, then probably we're missing it on the abide in me and my words abide in you part. I got to get more under that part of abiding in him. Let his words abide in me. See, if his words abide in me, foreign words don't have the ability to grab hold. If his words of love abide in you, when other people say nasty things about other believers, it just doesn't sit inside you. You just, I'm not going to be angry toward them. I'm not going to be this way towards them. I'm, I'm walking this way. This, his words abide in me. That's just how you're going to walk. That's what you're going to do. Remember Jesus sitting over there minding his own business? And all of a sudden, here come the, the religious leaders. And they bring up to him a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Now, we've talked about this before, but if the woman is caught in the very act of adultery and brought before Jesus, what is missing? Because you cannot commit adultery by yourself. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> But we just brought the one. <laughs> and we bring that before Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. I'm sure Jesus is sitting there. Where's the other guy? <laughs> but he doesn't say that. He just starts dealing with this. And so he, they got the evidence. They got the people saying all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. And he's, he's told, the law says that she should die. What do you say? Trying to shape his opinion, aren't they? Trying to shape what it is he's going to say. So he stoops down in the sand. He writes, his, writes some things. People have surmised that he's writing some sins or something down that would convict different people. He stood up and said, He was out sin, cast the first stone, gets back down, writes some more. And one by one, they begin to leave. So whatever it is he wrote in the sand, apparently had his work. And one by one, they left until the last one left. And the woman and Jesus are there alone. And he says to Jesus, where are your accusers? They, they're gone. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Now, look at the response that Jesus has here. Does he have evidence that sin was, has gone on? Yes. Does the woman claim to be innocent? I, don't, I never heard a thing about the woman claiming to be innocent. And even when she's left by herself, I really didn't do it. <laughs> we don't have that either. And Jesus, he doesn't sit there and say, now you know what you did. He doesn't sit there and say, his opinion was not shaped by those people who came on in and brought this woman in before him and had all this evidence and all this stuff. What was his opinion shaped by? His spirit. His spirit said, mercy. Mercy. The spirit of the religious leaders was not one of mercy, was it? It was one of judgment. Which side would you rather be on? Which side have you been on in the past? How many times have we been on the side of the people bringing the woman before Jesus? And spiritually, thinking we are spiritually minded, 
demanded judgment. How many times of our prayers have we been like the Pharisees bringing the woman? But just imagine the deception that these religious leaders did. That they got a man in on their plan and they coerced this woman into this sin and then barged in in the middle, caught her and dragged her out in the streets. How many of y'all know they probably didn't wait for her to get dressed? They're not trying to do anything to make her look better. And they did this for spiritual reasons. I'll tell you what, folks. I get the same impression of the people that are pointing the finger at AIG. And a whole lot of others, not just them. There's a whole lot of others that are in the same class that are being pinpointed, fingers pointed at them, and information given out that is not correct. And people are getting all up in arms and getting mobbed, ready to throw stones at people because of what they've done. They don't have the whole story. They don't know all that was going on. Did you all hear that the president or CEO, I think it is, of Ford? Have you seen what he did in the last couple of weeks? Boy, is he on your side. He's asked for higher gas prices. He's actually asked for a sales or for a government tax on gas to keep the price of gasoline high. Did you all hear that? You all missed that one? How did you all miss that one? Boy, I, CEO, I believe it was the CEO of Ford. It was Ford. I'm pretty sure it was the CEO. Now, you got to ask yourself, why would the CEO of a car company whose vehicles run on gas ask for higher gas prices? Exactly right. They are being made by the government to sell cars that have better gas mileage because of the rules, the cafe rules that they have in place. And so they have made these hybrids. And you know how many hybrids are selling right now? They can't give them away. Having a real hard time giving away because gas prices are down low. People are not thinking about spending all that much money to save that much gas. It's not that big a deal. Gas prices are down $2. So the only way that Ford and GM and all these guys are going to get rid of all these hybrids is if... Exactly. Guess who gets to be the victim on all these sort of things, huh? I mean, you just hear that story. Why in the world would they want that? They want this because they got stuff to sell and they want to make sure that they sell it and have the government do something. Wouldn't you just like? Wouldn't you just think that'd be great that the government would have some kind of a flexible tax that they could always keep the gas price around four dollars? Your prayers being answered depends more on you than it does on God. Be ready to listen and quick to change. Be ready to listen and quick to change. When the Spirit of God says something, you be ready to change. And change rapidly. Don't wait on it. When He shows you something different, when you are in the situation that Jesus was, and Pharisees bring a woman before you who's caught in adultery, you make sure we act like Jesus did. Listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. Be quick to change any, any kind of behavior that you need to change. Over in Colossians chapter 3, and verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Who does that sound like it's on? It's on us. That's kind of like what we, were, what we saw before, isn't it? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word to dwell means to inhabit, and the word richly means abundantly, just like it sounds. Let the Word of God dwell in you. That means it makes its home there. That means it's not there part-time. It's not there just when you're in church. It's not there just when you're around Christians. It's there all. It dwells. It always resides in you. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Which means you've got to put time into this. You've got to absorb the Word of God. You've got to continue to meditate on the Word of God and you've got to continue to apply that Word of God and get it going in you. Get it going in you. Let the Word of Christ 
dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In all wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. It comes from the understanding of the Word. In all wisdom. Then he goes on, of course, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Can't do that when you're grumbling and complaining, can you? Can't do that when you're ready to throw stones. Don't be messing with that sort of stuff. Don't be letting those things get into you. Stay out of all that. Remember the works of the flesh. They're evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Stay out of those things. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's our responsibility. That's on our part. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Father, we thank You that the Word of Christ can dwell in us richly. I thank You, Father, for the love of God that works on the inside of us. We don't respond to the things that people say, try and make us angry, have outbursts of wrath, hatred. We don't respond to that. We respond to Your Spirit. We listen to Your Spirit. Even when the evidence tells us judgment, when your spirit says mercy, we extend mercy. We don't listen to the outward evidence. We don't listen to the things that we see or hear with our ears. We listen and do according to the things that come to our spirit. We walk in love. That as we walk in love towards the brethren, we can tell how spiritual we are. When we don't do things that are divisive, we can tell how spiritual we are. We do things to try and bring unity and bring, bring people together, bring folks together to God. We can tell we're there and where we're supposed to be. Father, our call is to be the peacemakers, not the ones that stir up wrath and indignation. Father, we don't want to be on the side of the people with the stones in their pockets when Jesus is on the ground writing things in the sand. Help us, Father, not to stand in the way of the accuser, but to stand in the way of God, to walk in that way of love. We know that sometimes love has to say some tough things, but it says it in a way that's different from the way the flesh does. And that's the side we want to err on or walk on. We don't want to err and go in the way of the flesh. I'm going to go in the way of the Spirit. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us in all these things. We praise You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.